As you look there at John 13, and uh, I uh, mentioned last week that in a way the Lord must have a sense of humor because we have just been walking through the book of John, not necessarily on a scheduled basis like we have to do these verses this week, these verses this week, just sort of as the Lord has allowed us to walk through this passage. And so in my first week as a formal candidate, uh, we came to the story of Judas. And uh, I thought, well, this is a fun thing for a candidate to try uh, to wrestle. Um, but the Lord gave us, <clears throat> alleviated that a little bit this week. And he showed us some interesting timing as well, because we're going to get into uh, a new commandment that Jesus gives to his disciples, specifically the commandment to love one another. And as I mentioned on Wednesday, uh, that's a fitting um, time of year for this to be the topic, uh, gentlemen. Uh, as I mentioned on Wednesday, it's kind of a public service announcement. Uh, I'm not going to say the words because I want you to think of it on your own, and then it'll all be from you. Uh, but um, I think it's a fitting topic uh, between today, and we'll think about it until Friday. Um, at least uh, this morning, we are going to look at this topic of love, and uh, it does time well with sort of what we're thinking about as a society and as a culture, uh, but a different kind of love, a love that only Christ could display. And so we're going to look at that and uh, walk through this passage this morning. The chapter itself has a couple, um, it, it goes back and forth with some very stark contrasts. And we mentioned the first two last week. A couple weeks ago, we studied through uh, the humble, the, the humility that uh, Jesus displayed, that humble action of washing the disciples' feet. And he says, if you want to follow me and be like me, you need to be a humble person. You need to show humility. You need to be willing to serve others. However, in whatever opportunity God gives you to serve, serve others the way that I have served you. And then he kind of throws in this night and day, this dark and light contrast. And he says, serve others like me. And then he inserts these few verses that we studied last week about Judas and the darkness of his heart and how he did not long to serve Anyone, though he did good things and he said good things and he had everyone around him fooled in a way, his heart was full of darkness, as First John would say, not of the light because he did not truly follow Christ. He was around Jesus, but he did not live for Jesus. Therefore, we see this humbleness, this humility that Christ displayed, but then we see the, the ultimate selfishness and the darkness that Judas displayed, and it's a contrast. And in a way, today we're going to see that again. We're going to see Jesus speak about this new commandment, love as I have loved. So be humble and serve others, love others, and display that love, not just simply because of who they are or who you are. We're going to see in a moment, his message to them is love as I have loved. And then he's going to finish the chapter by this other kind of character contrast. And we're going to see Peter sort of jumping in quickly. And we're going to kind of compare ourselves to him in his life as well. When Jesus came to earth, he set up a new covenant. Uh, God had made a covenant with Adam and Eve, and He had made covenants with different people throughout history, His people and the Israelites and David and Abraham. But when Jesus came, He established a new covenant, a covenant that was backed by the grace and the mercy of the sacrifice of the cross. And He says, follow me in service. He was the new authority. 
time's sake, we won't go there, but you, if you were to turn back and look through the Sermon on the Mount and other teachings of Jesus, Jesus would say something along these lines, you have heard it said, or the law says it this way, but I say it this way. Jesus established a new authority and a new law. Not that he got rid of all the old laws or the righteousness of the law. He even added to it to an extent. He said, the law says, don't kill. I say, don't have hatred in your heart toward a brother because it's the same motivation as murder. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even lust in your heart because in your heart and your mind, you committed adultery already. So it's not that Jesus was coming to tear down the law and set up his own new law. It was that Jesus came to reinforce and strengthen the law that God had said. And now he says, now you can live this life Though you have failed to keep my commandments, you can keep these new commandments through me. He says, I'm going to set up a new covenant, a new authority, a new kingdom. Uh, around the end of World War II, when uh, Woodrow Wilson would give his vision sort of for the world and for peace and this legion of peace and all that was going to be set up, you heard the phrase, one for one of the first times at least in writing and these different things, you heard the phrase, a new world order. And the purpose or the, the idea was that things are not going to function the way they functioned before. Nations aren't going to be looked at the same way that they were looked at before. We don't want to see nations going about just trying to get more land by conquering each other. We want to see people live in peace. And then you've heard that phrase set up in different ways. Or you may speak of the old empires and how uh, the Greek empire transitioned to the Roman empire. And you say it was a new world order. Things were ruled a different way. Governments worked a different way. Everything functioned in a different way. And in a way, this chapter, as Jesus begins to kind of finish this final discourse. He's speaking. He's been teaching here at this Last Supper table uh, all of this chapter, and he's going to continue to do so through the next couple chapters. It's just this discourse, this teaching that he has with these disciples as he comes to the end of his life, and he is setting up, in a way, this new world order. He said, I'm going to go prepare a way. I'm going to go make a way for you to be saved and have access to God directly, not through a priest and not through a blood animal sacrifice, but through grace and mercy. And then you can pray to God on your own. You can come into his throne room. You can speak to God. I'm going to set up a whole different way of how things work. And Jesus is teaching them about that. And within this new world order, this new covenant, this new kingdom that he is setting up, he's going to explain in this chapter how some things are going to work differently than our minds naturally assume that they're going to work. He says, my way is different than culture's way. My order is different than society's order. My motives are very different than the world's motives. I am setting up a different kind of kingdom and you should be a different kind of person because you have a, as we spoke a few weeks ago, you have a different kind of king. And so as we walk through this, I'm going to give you the four kind of points that Jesus makes through this particular moment and through his teaching and then we're going to walk through them together. You don't have to write them all down right now. We'll go back through them as we go. But here they are. And they're each sort of their own paradox. They kind of work the opposite of the way that we may think they may work. But he's going to teach us that, number one, glory comes through humility and suffering, not achievement and power. That glory comes through humility and suffering, not achievement 
or power. He's going to show us in a moment, based on His new commandment, He says He's going to show us that our love for others should be based on God's love, not people or personality. It shouldn't just be you find people that you mesh with and that's who you love. Uh, though that's a good way to find a spouse, God does not tell us that that's how we're to treat everyone in this world. We, we love them if we get along. Love for others is based on God's love for us, not people or personality. He's going to teach that within His kingdom, spiritual life is based on reliance or dependence in Christ and not ambition or our own works. He says what, how spiritual you are will be based on how much you depend on me, not on what you do and not on the list that you check off and not on all the deeds that you can write down in a list and say these are the great things that I have done. He says your spiritual life is going to be based on your reliance on the great things that Christ has done. And then finally, he's going to teach that second chances are based on grace, not performance or opportunity or merit. So let's walk through those things together and discuss this new system that Jesus is teaching. The truth is, it's a system that God intended for us all along, but that sin ruined. And Jesus came to restore us in salvation and to restore the order that God wanted in this world. So if you would, look at verse number 34, no, no, excuse me, verse number 31 of chapter 13. And we'll read from there to the end of the chapter. If you were here last week, we discussed Judas and how Jesus is speaking back and forth uh, with His disciples. And Judas is already in his heart to betray Jesus. Jesus knows that. And even knowing what was in Judas' heart, He reaches out to him. He teaches him all the way. It says He even loved them until the very end. And finally, Judas in his heart has betrayed Jesus. And Jesus tells him to go do what he's going to do and to do it quickly. Judas gets up from the table, verse 30 it says, and after he received it, immediately he went out, and it was night. Verse number 31, Therefore, when Judas was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God be glorified in Him, God shall also glorify Him in Himself, and shall straightway glorify Him. Little children... Yet a little while I am with you, ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another." Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterward. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto you, or say unto thee, uh, the cock shall not crow, Till thou hast denied me thrice. So let's go back and look at that for a moment and look at these things. But I want to sidestep for a moment uh, before we address those four things. I want to sidestep for just a moment to show you the impact that Jesus' teaching had on John's life. Remember, this book is written by the Holy Spirit of God, but through human authors. John is the author of this book. 
and we can learn something about how God's Word should impact us by how God's Word impacted Him. I want you to take a look very quickly. You could do this from a lot of John's book and then go to his other writings. This is his account of Jesus' gospel. Yet he's going to go and he's going to write some epistles or some letters to some of the churches that he was ministering to that are at the end or near the end of your Bible. And you're going to see some correlation to Jesus' teaching, to John's teaching. But I want you to to draw this out by two words. Verse number 33, it says the words, Little children... Now, that would have been, uh, in a way, kind of shocking for some of these disciples. This is not the way someone would, an older statesman or a more veteran person would say, son, can you go get me this, you know, whatever. This literally is, in essence, he's saying tiny ones. Like you would refer to a little baby that can't even understand completely what you're saying. How are you, little tiny one? And he says to them, little children. And then look at the beginning of verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give. Now, I want you to turn, if you would, for just a moment to 1 John. Leave your finger there in John 13 and turn over to 1 John and let's see how it impacted him. Those two phrases, those two statements are found nowhere else in the New Testament. The word little children, that that word, those words for little children, meaning little itty bitty tiny ones, is found nowhere else in Scripture except for 1 John. The word new commandment, this new commandment I give to you is found nowhere else in the New Testament except for 1 John. And so what I want to point out is the fact that Jesus is the one that said those words, right? Jesus taught John, he says, little children, I'm giving you a new commandment. And as John takes this in and learns from Jesus, it affects his life. It affects how he speaks. It affects what his motivations are. It affects, it affects how he writes these letters. And it should affect us. When we read the Word of God and see the real words of Jesus, it should change the way that we speak. It should change what we talk about. It should change what our motivations are. It should change our actions. How much did Jesus' words impact John's life? Look, if you would, at chapter 2 of 1 John and look at verse 1. He says, my little children, sound familiar? These things write I unto you that ye sin not. Look at verse 3. And hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 6, he says, you are also to walk even as I walked. A similar phrasing, love as I have loved. Look at verse 8. Again, a new commandment. There it is. It's nowhere else in the New Testament, but John and 1 John, it affected him. A new commandment I give, uh, I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He says, this new commandment you can live because salvation has come. Look at verse 10. What is this new commandment? What does it imply? Verse 10, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light. That new commandment to love one another. Look at verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. He says you can love because God has forgiven you. Look at the end of verse 13. The end of verse 13 says, I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. Look at verse 18. Little children, it is the last time as ye have heard the Antichrist. He goes on and begins teaching again. Look at the end of verse 24. Ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Verse 28. And now, little children. Look over at chapter 4. Look at verse 7. 
And this is where he begins to teach this new commandment that Jesus taught to him. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. How do we see God's love? Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Here is love. Not that we uh, loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Remember back that new commandment in John 13? He says, love one another as I have loved you. Now John is saying, little children, love each other. Not because you all deserve it, but because God loved you. He's teaching them literally the same command. Love others the way that God has loved you. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Look at uh, verse 16, the end. God is love, and he that dwelleth in, in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. The end of verse 17. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him, because he first loved us. And then finally, verse 21, And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Go back to John 13, if you would. We just read a lot of verses from 1 John in kind of rapid-fire succession. But do you think that John got the point? From this little passage, John is inspired, and John writes the book of 1 John, and he says over and over and over what Jesus taught him. You have to love, and you have to love others, not because others deserve it, not because your love is great, but because God's love is great. And when you meditate and dwell on the fact that God loves you and died for your sins, it should cast out all fear that you have of what may happen if you love someone else. Have you ever noticed that when we have, sometimes we fear what may happen if we really open ourselves to love others, whether it's I've been hurt in the past and I don't want to be hurt in the future. I've been taken advantage of in the past and I don't want to be taken advantage of in the future. I've shown love to someone and behind the scenes they mistreated that love and I don't want my love to be mistreated in the future. But that is not included in God's new commandment. He says, you don't have to worry about the end result of your love. You just have to love because God loves you. Because God didn't consider how you would treat him when he died for you. He simply died because he loved you. Jesus went to the cross for your sins, not thinking, will he ever sin again? Not thinking, will James betray my love? Not thinking, will James ever fail and sin even though I have loved him? In spite of all of that, he just simply loved. And now he's commanding us to love the same way. We're going to talk about that in a minute. What does it mean to love the same God does? But I wanted to challenge you with that as we began this morning and as we're looking at 1 John to see. And I want you to ask yourself the question, does God's word impact me the way that it impacted the disciple or the apostle John? When I read something, does it then consume my speech? When I hear a sermon and God works in my heart on Sunday, do I ever talk about it again on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with anyone else, with someone that is lost, with someone that is saved, with a brother or a Christian from my church, with a Bible study that I may be a part of? Do I ever speak of it again? Obviously, John did. He heard the message of Christ and it became part of his life. And when we hear these lessons, when we see these messages from the words of Christ, they should impact us. 
They should change the way that we think, the way that we act, the way we speak, the way that we walk throughout our lives. So I want to go back and look at those lessons very quickly this morning and then pray that God will let them impact our lives the way that they impacted John in his life. Number one, God's glory is shown through obedience and humility and suffering, not through achievement or power. Look, if you would, in verse number 31. So Judas leaves, and Jesus has just told Judas, go do what you're going to do. In other words, he's saying, go start this thing off. Go start the betrayal. Go get your 30 pieces of silver. Then bring the soldiers back to take me so that I can be beaten, so I can be tried falsely, so that I can be accused wrongly and condemned to death that I do not deserve to die for the sins of all men. He is setting off the events that are going to lead to his sacrifice on the cross. And so when Jesus sets off these events, you would think his next words would be more grave than this. You would think that Jesus' next words would be, and so it comes to the end or something along the and this is how it ends and so destruction comes or jesus was sad or so we entered into a, a a great darkness or there was terror in their hearts but it doesn't notice what it says in verse 31 now therefore when he judas was gone out jesus said now is the son of man glorified and god is glorified in him what is he saying he's saying i'm about to obey i'm about to fulfill my commission and my mission in this world, the thing that God the Father sent me to do, I am going to do it. And God will be glorified through that. Through what? Through His obedience, through His humility, and through His death on the cross. Now, we don't think of glory in those terms, death and sorrow and suffering and obedience. We think of glory as someone who no longer has to obey. Someone who has risen to where they tell everyone else what to do. Someone who has ascended the corporate ladder. Someone who has the money to where if they don't want to do something, they can pay someone else to do it. That's what we as society and culture imagine that real glory is. But Jesus says real glory is I'm going to walk through darkness alone. and be sacrificed on a cross because it is what God wants me to do. And He'll be glorified in that. And I will glorify Him, and then God will lift me up if I submit and if I obey. It's the opposite of what our world today thinks. Let me read you a verse. You don't have to turn there. First Peter 4, verse 11 says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that's sort of the end result. When he says, God, I'll glorify God and God glorify me by my obedience, he says, when Jesus submitted, it brought glory to, Christ, it brought glory to God, which in turn glorified Christ. Sometimes our glory in this world, our seeking, our effort to get glory and find glory and power leads us away from obedience and submission to God's Word. But that is not what He teaches. You say, well, I want to obey. I want to do these things. I want to be more committed to what God says in His Word. I want to follow Jesus more, but it will cost me this part of my job or this part of my career or this relationship or this part of my family. It will cost me something if I follow. But it also cost Christ something to follow. It cost Him His life. 
So what could it cost you any more than it cost Jesus Christ? God's glory is shown through our obedience and our humility. Number two, our love for others should now be based on God's love, not on self, not on people, not on personality. He says, as I have loved you. Now think about it. Throughout all the Old Testament, there are references to love. There are places where it said this person loved that person, this person loved God, or God loved these people. But there had never been a perfect, pure display of love like the one that is about to happen through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. There had never been this kind of display. That's why Jesus says a new commandment. Is it a new commandment in that he's saying love others? No, that commandment has been there long before. Read Deuteronomy, read Leviticus where it talks about loving others. He says you're to love your neighbor in the way that you love yourself. This is not a new commandment in the sense that he's saying love others. That's the first time I've ever told you that. He's saying this is a new commandment in that I can tell you love others the way that I am going to show you that I love you. Now, we can't go to the cross for someone. We can't bear someone's sins. But how did Jesus love outside of simply his death on the cross? We see in verses 31 and verse 32 that his love was going to cost him something. It references there how he's going to be glorified through his death. He says, when you love others, it's going to cost you. His love was a caring love. Look at verse 33. He cared about them. He says, little children. He tries to explain to them what's going to happen. So not only did his love cost something, he really deeply cared about others. His love was outward. If you would, look at uh, verse number 35. His command says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. He says, You don't love in secret, you love publicly. Jesus loved very publicly. It's one of the things that led to his death on the cross is how publicly he lived his life and his faith and his love. His love was a committed love and that it took him all the way to the cross. What are some things that Jesus did? We won't look at all these verses for time's sake this morning, but let me give you some things that Jesus says that he did in love. In Matthew 14, 14, it says that Jesus had compassion. When he saw these people, he had compassion on them, and then he healed their sick. So he worked with, he healed those that were in need because of his love toward them. Number two, his love fed the hungry. Matthew 15, 32, he said he looked out on the multitude seeing that they didn't have food, they didn't have food to eat, and he had compassion, and then he went on and he fed them. He took care of their needs. And that's two things that we don't often think. We think, well, we care for those that we really love, our family, our friends. That's who we will provide for if they need it. That's who we will care for if they're sick. But Jesus cared for multitudes of people when they were hungry, multitudes of people when they were sick and in need. Jesus taught truth in love. Mark 6, 34, he says he looked out, seeing that they were a sheep that had no shepherd, and he had compassion on them, and he began to teach them in love. These are all things that should be uh, descriptions of our love toward others. We should help those that are in need because of God's love for us. We should help those that are hungry because of God's love for us. We should teach others truths that they may not know because of God's love for us. In John 17, just a couple chapters over, he's going to be, see his disciples and be moved with compassion towards them. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to pray for them because of his love. Of course, John 3, 16 and John 15, 13. In fact, we're, we're right there. You can look at John 15. Look at verse number 13. What's another description of Jesus' love? It says, Greater love hath no man than this. 
that a man lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus, in his love, he healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he provided for needs, he taught them truths, he prayed for them, and he gave himself. How is our love matching up? Because remember, it's commanded, right? Remember Jesus, just in, back in John 13, he says, I command you to love like I do. Well, what does it mean to love like I do? You take care of others' needs. You feed those that are hungry. You deal with those that are sick. You serve and support those that have a need in their lives. If someone is lacking in truth, if someone is confused in their mind biblically, if someone is wrong about what they're thinking spiritually, you don't just condemn them and judge them and turn them aside and have nothing to do with them. You teach them. He says he saw them, sheep with no shepherd, and so he taught them. You don't just teach them, but you pray for them. And not just saying, I am praying for you, but really diligently, fervently, it says that he prayed for them. And then he says, you want to love like I do? Give yourself to others. He loved, think about people, the type of people that Jesus loved. He loved needy people, wicked people. He loved people that disagreed and argued with him. He loved people that could never repay him, that had nothing that were homeless, that were helpless. He loved young children. He loved those that were lost, those that were sinful. He loved those that betrayed him. Because remember at the beginning of John 13, it says he loved them to the end. Well, that included Judas, who was about to sell his life. And it also included Peter, who he just told us at the end of this chapter is going to deny him. God's love, you say, well, what does it mean to love as God loves? It means I love unconditionally, not based on their merit, not based on the object of love, not based on what people can give me, but I provide, I help with need, I pray, I teach, I give myself to who? The needy, the hungry, the lost, the young, the old, those that betray me and those that deny me, those that mistreat me and those that hate me. I love them all. Why? Because it is how I have loved you. That also love one that ye also love one another. He loved, and so we ask ourselves the question: do we love? In finishing, let's look at this example of Peter, this contrast. Jesus says these very powerful words. He just gave them a new commandment. He is God. He's eating, these, these disciples are eating dinner with God. Um, I, I think that John sort of got that eventually because the Bible does tell us that Jesus did, that Peter, remember Peter tells John, elbows John, hey, ask him, ask him, ask him who's going to betray, find out who it is. And then Jesus says, it's the one that I dip the bread in the thing and then give it to him. And, and Jesus dipped the bread and he handed it to him. Well, how did the disciples, and then it says, no man at the table knew that Judas was going to go out and betray him. Well, how did they not know if he says, it's who I give the bread to? Judas, take this. Most people think, most commentators think, it's simply because John, it says that John was leaning on his chest or on his bosom. It says that John was leaning against him and looks up and says, who is it that's going to betray you? Jesus looks down probably only to John and answers the one that asks him the question and says, the one that I'm going to give this to. And then it also implies that Judas may have even been the one on the other side of him because he's close enough that Jesus can dip and hand it to him. And so you have these two opposite characteristics, these two opposite people. And so I think in a way, John is baffled by this as Judas gets up and leaves and he's thinking, one of us? 
the one that carries the bag, the one that goes, that, and buy, remember it says that he, they thought he was going to go out and give to the poor or buy for their need. The one that does those things, that's the, that person can betray you. So it's like John's ears perk up, and now he's listening to Jesus as he teaches, and it's as though he really realizes, I'm sitting with God. He knows Judas' heart, and he knows my heart. And then there's Peter who is not leaning on Jesus' breast, who is not being quiet at this moment, who is not having an intimate moment of fellowship with him. Simon Peter says, Lord, where are you going? You keep talking about leaving, and you're never telling us where. And Jesus says, really, that's not the point, because where I'm going, you can't go. Why? Because I'm leaving you here for a purpose. Why am I leaving you here? To love others as I have loved you, so that they can see my love extended and more can be saved. That's the purpose that he's telling Peter about, but Peter is so consumed that Jesus might leave and be out of his sight. Peter's so hyper-focused on one thing, and in our lives, when we get hyper-focused on one thing, it distracts us from all that God really has for our spiritual lives. It can even be something that's good. I don't think it's wrong that Peter wants to be with Jesus. I don't think it's wrong that Peter wants to defend Jesus. But Peter's so hyper-focused on what he can do that he misses what Christ is asking him to do. Look at verse 37. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? And then these are some echoing, haunting words in a way. Peter, speaking to Christ, who knows he's about to die, says, I will lay down my life. For thy sake. Let's simplify it a little bit. Say, Peter looks at Jesus and says, where are you going to go that I can go? I am going to die for you. Jesus, you can kind of imagine a somber tone as Jesus answered. He says, you have no idea what you just said. Are you really going to lay down your life for me? He says, I have to lay down my life for you. He tells Peter, you laying your life down for me does nothing. You're still lost. I must lay down my life for you. He goes even further and says, you're not only going to not lay down your life for me, there's going to be a little maiden servant girl who's going to ask you about me, and you're going to be terrified of her, and you're going to deny me in front of her. You, you cannot... The, the, the basic point of this part that, that Jesus is speaking to Peter says, you cannot save yourself. Spiritual life is based on reliance in Christ, not ambition or works. Peter had ambition, and Peter was willing to do a work, but he did not realize that he first needed to be in Christ before he could do either, either of those. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God is eternal life. And Peter had to realize this is not about me, it's about the Lord. But we'll thank God for number four. The ch second chances are based on grace. Not on performance, not on opportunity. There never came another day where Jesus needed Peter. There never came another day where Jesus was like, Oh man, the church won't advance, who can I enlist? Peter was an awesome dude, let's go get him. He can fix this. Jesus never needed Peter. After, G after Peter denied him one, two, three times, and those echoing words rang out, and the guilt just 
smothered Peter's life so much so that he ran in shame. Jesus never needed Peter again. But he used him. But he called him back to himself. Not because Jesus had need, but because Peter did. But because the second chance was based on God's grace and not on performance and merit. And the message to us today is that God loves in spite of our sin. And no matter how bad I mess up, no matter how sinful my week is, God's grace and mercy is far greater, far bigger, and far more than my own sin and failures. Jesus says, you don't have to earn your way back. It's not like you leave church on Sunday, you mess up Monday and Tuesday, and you better work hard Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to be able to come back with a clean conscience on Sunday to church again. It doesn't work that way. Come filthy, come needy, come gross, come denying, come betraying, and I will make you clean is what Jesus says. You can't do it to yourself. We said that John got the picture. As a way to enter into our invitation, I want you to turn to 1 Peter, because Peter eventually gets it too. John got the point pretty quickly. And those words really meant something to him when Jesus says, little children, little children. Here's this new commandment, love, 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 love. And John says, wow, yeah, that, that totally takes over my life as it should ours. But sometimes it takes a few turns around the table to pick it up, doesn't it? Sometimes it takes, uh, I was on the playground not long ago with my kids, and we're, they're on the seesaw, and uh, we're going back and forth and back up and down and up and down. Sometimes it takes a few rides up and down before you really figure out where you're supposed to be spiritually. But Peter eventually, by the mercy of God, figures it out. Look at verse 14, chapter number 1, verse, 1 Peter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, this is Peter writing, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Who do you think he's talking about there? He's talking about his own ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Jesus, Peter realizes it's not about his holiness, it's about the holiness of Christ. It's not about his love, it's the love of Christ. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear for as much as ye know Notice this, that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain or your useless conversation, your useless lifestyle received by the traditions from your fathers. Notice what he says. This is Peter speaking. He says, you can be saved by what you have and you cannot be saved by what you do. But Peter says in verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You have to imagine as Peter writes this, maybe tears coming down his eyes, he has to look away so he doesn't stain those pages as he's weeping, thinking, I tried to fix this myself, but Jesus taught me. And as I saw him on a cross and I saw the wounds afterwards, he deserved, no, he had no blemish, but by his precious blood, we have mercy and love. Look at verse 21. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead, gave him glory. Remember, 
we just talked about in John 13, that your faith and hope might be in God, not in self. Peter says, I learned that it wasn't about me. It's about the Lord. And he says, we love because Jesus loved. We are merciful to others because Jesus is merciful to us. Every head bowed and every eyes closed this morning. We're going to sing in a moment the verse of invitation. The song we've been singing for the month, at least in our Sunday school and our evening services, we've been singing that song, Here is Love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood, when the prince of life, our ransom, gave for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, it will never be forgotten throughout man's eternal days. And I wonder this morning, have we maybe forgotten the love of Christ? Have we forgotten that that is our motivation? Not what we can get from people, not what we can do for our church or even do for God. It is about what God has done for us. That's where this starts. Our spiritual lives are anchored in Christ, not in self. They're anchored in mercy and grace, not in works and our own failures. So we'll ask the Lord to bless this time that we have together. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing that. It'll be on the screen in just a moment. We're going to sing that together.